The Education Channel supports individual educational goals and encourages creativity for all. Visit uctv.tv slash education. All right. Welcome, everyone, to Series 2 of Creative Conversations. My name is Morgan Appel. I'm the Assistant Dean for Education and Community Outreach at the Division of Extended Studies at UC San Diego. And I am joined um, by... Gabby and Lisa, both from the San Diego County Office of Education. So if you'd like to say hi, Gabby and Lisa. Sure. Good afternoon. Good to see you, Morgan. I'm Gabby Delgado. I'm with the County Office of Education here in San Diego, and I am the Senior Manager of Grant Services. So I support everyone at the County Office with their wonderful grant applications. Good to be here. Great to be here. I can't believe it's the second season. I'm Lisa Johnson Davis. I'm also at the San Diego County Office of Education and specializing in expanded learning and community engagement. Well, Gabby, Lisa, here we are just about one year after uh, we first um, started uh, Creative Conversations. And I think it's a good idea maybe to reflect on where we were at the beginning of series one. I think we are in a much different place and for me, um, a much different face. So I'm so glad to have you join us. And I think that the question of the day is what happened to the great transformation that we were expecting? Um, it, was the pandemic not the great catalyst for change we originally believed it would be? Have we slipped back? into old routines in education. Um, so I think for this session and also this series, um, we are going to engage in some creative conversating about climate change in, in its, its literal form, but also the climate for change. So uh, Gabby, Lisa, what do you think? What a good segue into the climate of change. Because I think that's where we kind of pull the genie out of the bottle a little bit. We thought that there was a um, place for transformation. Things were going to be kicked off, the kind of new uh, revolution of thinking about learning. And change is hard. And we always want to go back to what we know. So I, I think personally what I'm seeing is that attachment to back what I know, how I did it. I want things to come back to normal. And, you know, then that's a discussion, I think, for these evolving um, series, the sessions that we're going to be talking about with a variety of people is how do you go back to something that has completely changed? Even though you want it to be the same, it, it isn't. And how do we continue to do this work to um, be a step ahead of trying to transform all of our institutions, but um, what's dear, near and dear to our hearts, which is learning and education. I mean, Gabby, we were thinking we were at the flashpoint for change, that everything would be different um, as we uh, were in sort of the apex or, or the zenith of COVID. And now that, that we are coming out of what hopefully is the worst of it, um, is our hunger, our thirst um, for transformative work diminished? Well, I think forever being the optimist that we are, I think you know it goes without saying that although we might have missed certain opportunities along the way that the door hasn't completely closed. And so I'd love to 
to see where this season takes us to really talk about. So what are the opportunities that, that um, have surfaced that maybe we need to look at with that fresh perspective and the idea of going back to the way that things were like, to your point, Lisa, how can we do that when now we know something that we didn't know two years ago? And perhaps we need to really look at how do we take advantage of the space that we are in? We were hoping two years ago that we would have been able to launch and almost have this um, extreme snowball effect because we were all so excited to just see how learning can take shape in a variety of different and new and innovative, creative ways. And we've seen that now we're slipping back to what we, like Lisa, you were saying, what we're the most comfortable with. Mm -hmm. But I don't believe that the opportunity is just completely gone. I think we just need to, to keep on that path and continue to explore and push that conversation to say, we, we can take all of the different lessons that we have learned in the past two years and what we're hearing from our learners, our community partners, those of us who, are, who have been in the field, and what, what can we hopefully put into place to keep that momentum going so that we don't, it's the, the human in us, we slip back to what we know because it's safe. So how do we support folks in having those ideas to be bold and to say, take a risk as scary as it may be. So I don't believe the doors close. I just believe we have to find a different path or different road to be able to get there. But hopefully these conversations will help launch that spark for some of our, our, um, our colleagues. And I, and I dare say, I think we were all really running on adrenaline. And I think, you know, um, when you are in that that mode, it is easier to embrace change because you just do it instinctively. But I think that we are very much emotionally connected to to pre-pandemic. And as soon as the opportunity to slide back into, as, as you said, Gabby, a more comfortable routine, and, and I think the neuroscience uh, meets that out, we all crave routine uh, and predictability to some extent, uh, we seized it because perhaps it, it, it mitigated or diminished our, our level of anxiety. At least that is, that's what I'm seeing from the field. But we talk about this series focusing on the climate for change. And initially we were looking at climate change um, in its most literal sense. And I know we're going to talk about that with some of the guests that we have uh, coming up. But as we look at the climate for change, if we look at the pace of change, where are we today? I think we're actually on the right path. I think if you talk to individual people at school sites or in business, I think at the individual level, they want change. They just don't know how to get from point A to point B. And there's a lot of discomfort around that. So I really think that there, there needs to be models being presented right now. We need to look toward the future and be able to present a model of the future. And I'm really actually very surprised with just the leadership in general and, and individuals who maybe they want that status quo, you know, to, so that there is that safety and everybody feels secure, but it's really indirect. Um, it's just directly conflicting with, I think what everybody feels. And that is that we need change and we need a leader and leadership that really showcases what that change change looks like. You know, we talk about climate change, Morgan, and we will be talking about just the climate of change. 
But we're facing some really deep concerns. Um, I was reading an article that said we're past the point of trying to mitigate climate change. It's survival, baby. <laughs> so we're going to be surviving. And how do we survive? And is our educational system prepping students to be able to think about those kinds of, of issues? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that poses an interesting question. We talk about maybe it's too late to mitigate, but we can survive. Is the same true for education? Is it too late now to mitigate? Is it too late to transform? Are we just surviving, Gabby? I don't think it's ever too late. Never too late. <laughs> Again, I go back to being having that optimist uh, point of view that it's never too late. And I think part of it is if if we listen to our community we listen to what our students and what our faculty and what our community partners really have to say and truly genuinely hear them, not just create spaces to have a particular agenda, but to really be in community with the folks that we are connecting with. If we listen to what they have to say and really take it to heart, then we, I would hope, are then um, we are obligated to change. In order to continue, like to your point, Lisa, in order to meet that need that we know is already here, we have to be able to rise to that obligation that we all have as, as public servants. So I, I don't believe that, that um, we don't have the opportunity. It's just a matter of how we choose to seize it. Let me ask you both this. I believe that many of our creative conversational lists or conversationalistas, those who either have watched us or participated in um, the Creative Conversations endeavor, are are fans of of Malcolm Gladwell. And Gladwell talks about a tipping point at at the point where everything changed. And I think we had hoped that would happen during the course of the pandemic. Um, What does it require? Now, I know that in series two of Creative Conversations, we are going to be talking to a lot of uh, different people, um, not only uh, about the work that they do in, in um, transformational efforts, but also their backstories. But what is this tipping point going to require? Is there still good transformative work happening on a smaller scale? I think when we look back, we may have already hit the tipping point, but it's that kind of historical reference where you don't know until you go far enough out and then you look back and then you're like, oh, okay, that was the time. And I think we, we, when we had our first discussions and creative conversations, I think we were right on the precipice of that tipping point. And I do I maintain that optimistic viewpoint, like Gabby, that we're only going to be able to change. I mean, we all move toward growth. There's no holding back. Gabby, have we hit the tipping point? Uh, Lisa says, well, we may have already um, passed it and, and not have taken note of it because it happened so subtly. Yeah, I think to, I agree with you, Lisa. It's hard when you think back when we were in the middle of the pandemic, it seemed like it was lasting forever. And now that we are on our way out and now COVID-19 is endemic, those two years seem like a very short window in our in our um, lifespan, because they are two years is not a significant amount of time. The tipping point for me is the fact that we have experienced this journey collectively as humans um, at this moment in time. And so 
for us to then be able to continue to explore what can we learn from it? That to me is what I'm hoping our, our season can really begin to, to explore deeper is what can I learn from this experience? How do I begin to reflect, to be able to then push the boundaries to your question earlier, Morgan, there are some amazing um, transformational um, aspects that we've seen arise because of the pandemic. And there's people that are moving to the four-day work week because they know actually Mm -hmm. there's research that shows you're much more effective. And that didn't start for some companies until COVID. The fact that you can um, collaborate with folks in a very different way and more efficient way. But we also learned that for young students, our young learners, they need to connect in person. You can't replicate that via Zoom. Maybe that works well for some of our college level students, but maybe not for all. So there's a lot of those lessons learned that I think we still really need to unpack to be able to continue to push that that true idea of true transformation. You can't get to that that, um, complete state of uh, reflection if you're not taking the time to really process to say, I think because we have been in survival trying to figure it out. So if we allow some time to step back and review what can we learn from this? What were the things that worked and what did not? And then how do we go forward? I do think that people need the, the practical steps because it's very overwhelming, especially when we're looking at systems. How do I deconstruct a system that has only operated this way? And so I think for all of us to really consider how can we engage our leaders and all of our partners in that discussion to figure out how do we unpack this and how do we do it so that it's tangible and feasible. Um, And then again, includes the voices of all of those who are part of the system and not just a few. I'm, I'm just, it's important for all of us to, I think, consider those who are impacted the most are typically not at the table. And so how do we remain inclusive of all of those folks that need to have their voices heard to be part of that overall change? Uh, you make so many compelling points, Gabby, and, and certainly speaking on behalf of all of post-secondary education, of course not. But from my own vantage point, um, what I have seen is we've been able to understand the individual more holistically emerging from the pandemic. And we've really, um, I think, have gotten a, uh, you know, have gotten a better sense of why balance is important and have tried to act upon it to be uh, a bit more humane in in our workplace environment and also our learning environment. But I think what strikes me, and I hope we will be able to sustain this sort of momentum, is when you talk about leaders, Gabby, I, I find that we saw leadership emerging from all over the place, not just positionally, um, but really we had uh, people leading the charge um, who uh, emerged from, uh, you know, parent and caregiver groups or practitioners um, or, 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 you know, um, support staff. Um, really, leadership came from all sides. And that is a very, very different type of leading the charge, I think. Lisa, what do you, what do you think? I think you guys are both spot on. Um, I'm just, there's such a rhythm going back to that four-day work week with education and work. It's so intertwined that we sometimes even forget that some of those models are set up that way. And to your point, um, Morgan, I think what what I've seen at the site levels and working with high schools, what Gabby's probably seen definitely in all of the grant is this relational component to leadership. 
it's not even leadership. I'm going to, you know, I mentioned like the vision piece. It's more than that. It's taking the individual that like you were mentioning, taking those individuals and how they're relating and how they've related in the pandemic. And we're, I feel like we're seeing more of almost like reaching out um, to connect, to try to make connections. Maybe certain individuals, as Gabby's saying, that have not come to the table, they don't know that. There's no roadmap. And there's this whole other periphery, especially in higher ed. And even when we talk about the college to career pieces, we're, we're trying to get students ultimately, I think, because of their potential. Go to college. We all know that's the great, the great leveler. And I, I truly believe that. But there's, there's different ways to get to those paths. And that's not to say everybody's not college material because I fully believe that everybody would benefit from having that, that, um, higher ed. But understanding that some people just don't have those opportunities. Those parents that you reach out to, you know, quite often, they don't have a background in, in education. They don't know what that means. And it's very difficult to get there, but they're reaching out just like I feel. People in, in um, K through 12 are reaching out. They're trying to latch on to something that's different. And what is, what is it that we are actually doing across our spectrum to, to help support that? That, I guess, is the question. You know, th- barriers to access um, have existence since the, the dawn of, of education. I think even, you know, when you had, um, you know, two philosophers sitting on a log, there were always barriers to entry. And I think those things were perhaps magnified and exacerbated. This is not to say that all of a sudden um, uh, inequity appeared, but those those um, situations were magnified and exacerbated during the pandemic. So we um, really became much more aware of, of um, inequities. But I think you also speak to the importance of creating social capital in in different ways, speaking to the value of relationships that maybe are not hierarchical. And I think we've also seen um, a, a, a bit of what we might call loose coupling, because in emergencies, it's much easier to sort of come together in, in a um, more informally structured environment than building out a department, building out staffing and things like that. So I think that perhaps these are lessons that we learned in education, um, these relational lessons. But oftentimes in education, we find ourselves in a bit of a bubble. And I know that the point of the first series of Creative Conversations was to really look at flashpoints for innovations across um, disciplines and um, not only across disciplines, but looking at vital interdisciplinary work. And I believe that our second series is really going to um, pick that torch up and, and look at these sort of um, cooperative and, and collaborative uh, endeavors, you know, and how they have survived the pandemic um, and how they proceed. So, um, Lisa, perhaps you could share a little bit uh, with us about what is Series 2 going to look like? What can our creative conversationalists 
expect from us. So I, I think, Morgan, that this season is going to bring a wide swath of individuals who are really centered around changing their particular climate, whether it be in education, whether it be in the natural sciences, climate change advocates, students, um, just people doing good work at the individual level to try to bust through those systems, like Gabby is saying, um, change, make change, and what that looks like. And maybe it'll give us the ability to talk to those that history will then look back on and say, this was the tipping point. These were the people that were making those changes that we just have no idea about. We're going to bring them forward into the light and see if we can make some sense out of all of this transformational so, stuff. So definitely change makers, uh, one and all. Gabby, what do you hope to see out of series two? So along the lines um, that Lisa just shared, for me, it's having a diverse perspective of, of different viewpoints, different ideas that are inclusive of um, perhaps people that we don't typically hear from, that like I mentioned earlier, maybe aren't always um, at the table, but being more inclusive and just having more of that people-centered approach in our work. To your point earlier, Lisa, about, you know, one thing that has happened over this time is the fact that people, the need to connect was magnified in a very different way. And so I just hope personally that the series stresses that particular point, that this is one way that we're encouraging folks to broaden their own network and perspectives in relationships and being inclusive of all different uh, perspectives for the, for the greater good. So a tapestry of ideas, tapestry of voices, and um, a tapestry of ways of knowing. Well, I think this is a great place uh, to end as we look forward to uh, Series 2 of Creative Conversations. So uh, on behalf of Gabby Delgado and Lisa Davis, I've been Morgan Appel for Creative Conversations. We'll see you next time.